Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Go ahead and get your Bibles. Jeremiah 17 is where I want you. Jeremiah 17, that's in the Old Testament. You're gonna have to go digging for it if you're not familiar with it, and that's absolutely okay. Oh, guys, these last several weeks have been pretty, pretty cool, I would say. Um, I've tracked uh, what seems to be a theme among all the different speakers that we've had. We started off with Dave Simpson, and then we went to Joseph Gibson, and then uh, we had uh, a word in Luke 18, and then from there we went to Pastor Ethan was sharing as well. And guys, it seemed like across all of those weeks, there just seemed to be this theme of like mature faith, this idea of building up mature faith in the Christian walk. And uh, I, I was really encouraged by it, and, and I did not plan uh, for this sermon to kind of fall in line with that, but it turns out that it kind of is. And uh, I'm excited for this, and so we'll, we'll see what the Lord does this morning. But uh, I'm, again, I'm just grateful for the, the, the messages that have been brought before you guys uh, by people not named Scott Brud. So with that, I want to start off by pointing out this idea, this value. There's this value that is kind of or pretty much really celebrated in our Western world. And it's commended as this top of the line value in our pop culture. It's proclaimed in many of our stories in our culture and in, in our songs and in our media and our movies and all these things. And it's, it's simply this one little single value. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Follow your heart. How, just by show of hands, how many of you have ever heard this said to someone or heard it said to you? Let's just see. Yeah, pretty, pretty popular advice these days, isn't it? It's a little, good of a, a little bit of a tidbit of advice that we can get. It's kind of cute, isn't it? It's got a cuteness to it. Follow your heart. Just follow it, right? Boy, do we celebrate this too, right? We celebrated like crazy. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and confess to you, I did not grow up listening to Leonard Skinnerd, right? But apparently in one of his songs called Simple Man, he says this, follow your heart and nothing else. I can also tell you this, that I did not grow up listening to 98 Degrees, but I know some of you ladies in here did. And apparently they had a song that featured Stevie Wondered, and it said this, don't think so much, let your heart decide. And it went also on to say, why second guess what feels so right? Just, so your, just trust your heart and you'll see the light. Now, I'm not going to sing it like Stevie Wonder did. It's a, tr it's a catchy song. But guys, we have the songs that sing it. We have our movies that celebrate it, like, like, like Mulan and Serendipity, right? And uh, so several other romantic movies that are out there today. We see it commended in award speeches. It's, it's taught in education systems. It's celebrated in Broadway shows. Follow your heart. Just listen to it. Trust it and let it guide you. Basically, when the world tells you, hey, follow your heart, they're telling you that your heart is kind of like this compass internally, right? And it's, it's gonna point to your true north. And as long as you follow that true north, you're gonna find yourself. Follow your heart. It actually, it has a hint, a sense of where it's like heroic and adventurous. Like it's an adventure to follow your heart. I'll tell you what, it really is in some way. It almost receives this moral obligation, like you've got to do it, and if you don't do it, you're, 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 you're gonna miss out. You're, you're gonna betray yourself if you don't follow your heart. 
Now, I, I'll tell you this. I, I did a quick search on the social media tycoon Twitter. And if you, if you type in hashtag follow your heart, you can kind of see what that means to our culture. I did that, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you some examples. Now, I'm, what I'm giving you is not meant to be demeaning to those who said this, okay? I'm not trying to crit, like, like criticize them or show them as poor examples. I'm just simply showing you what people understand when they say, follow your heart. You understand? So first, one tweet that I came across said this, I went for a run and ended up at Pinkberry ice cream, hashtag follow your heart. I'm gonna be, go be healthy. Oh wait, there's ice cream. I'm following, that's more like stomach though. Or what about, uh, I, I came across another one. It was a, of a young woman who quit her job all of a sudden and went on a road trip for six months, all in the name of hashtag follow your heart. Like just going on a road trip for six months, see ya. I don't know where I'm gonna get my income, but I'm just gonna do it. Hashtag follow your heart. Then I, I found another one about a young man named Vinny. Now I'm about to bring up his picture. This is Vinny. Vinny's very open about the fact that he is following his heart, right? To become a genderless alien and all the processes and the procedures that he's undertaken to do so are very much detailed in his social media account, right? He's spent $60,000 worth of 110 different procedures, including two rhinoplasties and 35 body and face laser treatments to have created this look. His final plans are to have surgeries to remove his belly button and anything else that would identify him with a specific gender or even a specific race. And all of this, he says, is because his friends are telling him to hashtag follow his heart. So, follow your heart. Now, I, I'm telling you, we may not pull it off like Vinny or the jogger or the, the, the adventurous day, six-month tripper. We may not pull it off like them, but I'll tell you one thing that is true. That we are all guilty of this. We all do this in some sense. Follow your heart. This is us. Oh, I, I want to go work wherever because my job is just not satisfying anymore. It's not fulfilling me and my heart anymore, so I'm going to go do whatever I want with life. Or, or we say things like, I want to do whatever. I want to date whoever. I want to spend my money on however I want to spend it, however my heart wants. In fact, you know, one of the things that we do is we, we typically kind of gauge our relationship with God based on what we feel in our hearts, not what we know. Guys, some of us, some of us don't have any other matrix to operate in. We don't know what else to do other than this. Everything that guides our decisions is really what our heart feels. And guys, I, I can tell you this. This is from my own personal experience. I'll bet you that some of the most shameful, embarrassing times in your life have been associated when you followed your heart. I know that from my own experience. Whether it was waking up one morning next to a stranger you didn't even know, sitting across the table from your family trying to explain what just happened or, or finding yourself not able to stand and you're laying down in a spinning room with a massive headache hung over from the night before. 
or even drowning in deep regret and anxiety because you thought you could afford something with money you didn't even have. I'll tell you how you likely got there. It's because you followed your heart. Guys, while the world gives us this advice and says, follow your heart, I'm gonna hopefully show you this morning that the Bible says something completely different. That the Bible's instruction is not this. That faith is not following your heart. And so in order for us to be shown this, in order for us to understand the complexities of this, we've got to first know what the Bible says about our hearts and then know how the Bible instructs us to deal with our hearts or how to relate to our hearts. So that's my aim this morning is to show you what the Bible says about our hearts and show you what the Bible says, how we should deal and relate to our hearts. That's the, that's the goal this morning. And let's, let's dive into this. Actually, I think I need to pray. Lord Jesus, I realize the complexities here are many. And, and there's a lot of uh, delicacies that need to be navigated here. I pray that you would do the work that I'm in like I'm incapable of doing. And that's even preaching your word. That's even doing anything of eternal significance. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come and, and work in our hearts as we're already probably feeling the probe, feeling the conviction, feeling the pointedness of your word. I pray that it would be your word preached this morning. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive in. Let's ask first, what is the heart according to the Bible? What, what is our heart? What does is, what is the Bible reference as our heart? And the only word in the New Testament for heart is cardea. Can you say cardea together? Cardea, right? It appears 156 times in the New Testament alone. And guys, every single one of those occurrences, not, single, not a single one of them refers to the physical organ that moves blood throughout your body. Every single occurrence of heart in the New Testament is in reference to a spiritual, supernatural organ that moves your soul. It's, the heart is like the biblical metaphor for the part of our inner being or our soul that is the source of our affections. It's where all of our desires find their seat in our lives. So our affections are the desires, they're the feelings, they're the passions, the longings, the emotions that direct us toward something or away from something or someone. So we tend to call these loves or hates, right? What we find ourselves attracted to or grossed out by. And honestly, they're kind of like gauges in the soul that, that, that tell us how much or how little we're treasuring something or someone. So with that, here's the first little thing that we need to understand. Our hearts are not guides to be followed, but gauges to be watched. Our hearts aren't guides to be followed, right? If, if they're where our affections and our emotions find their seat in our soul, in our existence, then we've got to be watching the gauge, not following the gauge. So an example of this uh, would be from Luke 12 when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In that sense, in other words, your heart shows you what you are treasuring. Whatever the treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. 
That's what it's going to be loving. That's what it's going to be designing. Therefore, our hearts are more like the soul's treasurer. The, the heart doesn't tell you the truth. It just shows, shows you the reality of what you're treasuring. It shows you the reality of the truth you're believing. It shows you what you really want. So in, in reality, if the heart is where all of our desires and hates and loves find their seat, then to follow your heart really just means do what you want. To follow your heart, literally, if we're going to look at it from a worldview on scripture, from scripture, to follow your heart means to do what you want. Do whatever you want. So if your heart tells you what you want or what you desire or what you treasure, then to follow your heart means go after what you want. Go after what you're treasuring. Do what you want. But guys, that, that, that doesn't look that magical, does it? That's not as cute. Do what you want. Do whatever you want, right? That doesn't have its tingle to it, right? I mean, you, you got to be careful who you say that to, right? Do whatever you want. Careful how you wield those words. I mean, it sounds crass. It sounds almost dirty, right? Like it's, it, 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 it blows away the dreamy, euphemistic haze of the cultural creed, follow your heart, right? It sounds dangerous. It sounds like there's a lot of risk involved with do whatever you want. But guys, that's exactly what follow your heart means. Do whatever you want. So the big question that we're asking this morning, if this, if this is the, the reality of the heart in the soul, the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is your heart the guide you should follow? Is your heart the guide or the leader that you should be following? And I'm just gonna touch on Jeremiah 17 as what I believe is pretty much the theme of all of scripture and how it speaks on the heart because Jesus affirms this in Matthew 5 and we'll get there. But Jeremiah 17 is gonna answer this question for us. Is your heart the guide you should follow? Now I wanna, I wanna set up the context real quick before we get reading uh, through, through some of the verses. In, G, in Jeremiah 17, God is calling out the Israelites' deceptiveness, their wickedness. He's telling them or revealing to them ultimately that because they've trusted in men and not God, all they have found is destruction and chaos because they've only trusted in men. And that's the reality of scripture, right? If you trust in creation, if you trust in man, you will only find destruction and chaos in its end. So that's the first part of Jeremiah 17. And then God moves on to remind them using an echo of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who not, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor sits in the way of sinners, nor sits at the feet of, nor sits at the feet of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates both day and night. He's like a tree planted beside streams of living water, bearing its fruit in due season. Because he echoes Psalm 1, reminding Israel, hey, you trusted in man, you trusted in creation, you reaped what you sowed. You trusted in them, you got destruction. Remember, when you trust in God, when you put your confidence and hope in him, you will be like a tree planted beside streams of living water. Remember the blessedness. Remember the uh, abundance that comes when you trust in God alone. He reminds them of that. So that the, if we trust in God, we will be unshakable. We will be fruitful. We will be at peace in every climate in our lives. So he has these two, like, juxtaposed positions of, of the Israelites' hearts and, and what's going on with them. And to be honest, don't you want abundance? 
Don't you want fruitfulness? Don't you want peace? Doesn't it sound like, hey, the right thing to do here would be to trust God? That's exactly what he's posing it as. Obviously, that's the right answer. What do we do? We trust in the Lord because that's where we find human flourishing. That's where we find good. But guys, if you have read through the whole Old Testament or even just part of it, you'd probably come to realize that centuries, hundreds of years of Israel's history have really just shown us that God's promises of abundance and his threats of destruction don't automatically result in us trusting God. They're just kind of out there as truths. But they don't automatically say, all right, well, I'm, I'm, it's clear. I've got, I'm just trusting the Lord for the rest of my life. And I'm perfect at it. No, Israel's history shows us that that's not the case. Why? God answers that question by following up the threats and the promises with a theological truth as to why it's so difficult and so complicated. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses nine through 10 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. Guys, the Bible is suggesting that the heart is more deceitful than anything else that exists and that our hearts have a sickness. They are diseased. In other words, the problem isn't in what our hearts want or in the fact that we're not getting what we want, the problem is our heart itself. The problem isn't out in the world, the problem is within me, right? So almost a century ago, the London Times published an article which, which was simply titled, What's Wrong with the World? That's a question we're probably asking today, right? What's wrong with the world? Well, in response, G.K. Chesterton, who is a, a lay theologian and philosopher, he wrote a response letter back to the London Times, and he said this, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am, yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. That's all he said. Has, what, if, what if the biggest problem in the world is actually my heart? What if it's me? As you, you might not like hearing this because I sure don't like hearing this. But our hearts are more sociopathic, sadistic, and pathological than we think they are. Because I'm not, I'm not sure about this. But I'm guessing that your heart has already told you some things in this morning alone that you'd be embarrassed to share with somebody else. I can tell you mine has. Now, I'm, I'm, I am the least of, 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 of the righteous. I am the worst sinner of all, so I'm not surprised by that. You might be, but I'm not. I, if I keep a low expectation of myself, then, then we're good. If you all have low expectations of me, then I, I'll only succeed. Because my heart loves to think the best of me and the worst of others. Unless they like me, then I really like them. And I don't like that about me and, and, and God's working on that in me. 
But my heart loves to believe that, that other people ought to serve me. And, and, and when they don't, it can suddenly come up with some sort of vile and morbid thought that seems attractive for just that moment. Now, whether or not I act on that is another thing, but I see my heart. Because our hearts, they're not naturally benevolent and good. They are pathologically selfish. Because your heart, our hearts want to consume every desire, everything that is beautiful, every person, every wonder in the world, every joy. It wants to consume it all for its own glory and self-indulgence. And so with that, like, I mean, that's, that's what Jeremiah 17 is saying. So I've, I've, this morning simply have like two truth takeaways and two application takeaways. And, and the first simple truth, and it's already what Jeremiah has said. I'm just making sure we emphasize this, guys. Your heart is deceptively wicked. Our hearts are deceptive and wicked. So, I mean, that's why Jesus reaffirms in Matthew 5. This is, this is what he says. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person, right? For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false testimonies, slander, etc. It's out of the heart that those things come. In other words, our hearts are the source of every affection for sinful things. Guys, in fact, your heart is so complicated and deceptive that it doesn't even know what's true sometimes and it deceives itself. John Calvin said this. He said, the human heart is, has so many recesses for vanity, so many lurking places for falsehood, is so shrouded by fraud and hypocrisy that it often deceives itself. Guys, it will deceive you into thinking that it is better than it actually is. It's good like that. It's actually a, it's a form of protecting you from the pain of realizing, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Guys, don't buy into that lie. Just don't buy into it. It's not, it's not really worth it at all. So I wanna take a second to think about this, right? So if, if this is the state of our hearts, Deceptively wicked and evil above all things. Ooh, diseased. Something's got to come in and cure it. But if that's the state of our hearts, then think, think about this. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Picture in your mind that you're trying to hire a leader over your life. Picture in your mind that you're wanting to hire somebody who you want to spend a lot of time with, who you want to be the example for you to follow. And, 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 and pretend that they're handing you a resume. What qualities on that resume do you want to see? Right? Just think about that. What qualities on that resume do you want to see for somebody who's going to be responsible for leading you and for like having conversation about truth and what's good? Right? So you have those qualities in mind? Let me ask you, did any of you come up with the qualities that they had to be deceptive and wicked and sick and incurable and disastrous? Was that on their resume for you? Absolutely. If it was, come meet me down here because we got to do a lot of praying. 
No, we don't, we, don't, we don't look for that in leaders. So then why would we follow a heart that has the same qualities, the same resume? Why would we do that? Guys, in fact, this passage says that our hearts are so deceitful and complicated that there are so many recesses in our hearts that, that, that no man can actually fully understand it. God is the only one who can search out our hearts and know the intricacies and know the recesses where things are hidden. Only he can search them out, not us. So there are things that are hidden within me that I don't even know. And as I expose my heart to the Lord and let him get in there and do his work and say, all right, well, here's something that I'm dragging up from fifth grade. Oh, okay, God. I didn't know that was in there. I didn't realize that I had built so many behavior patterns based on that single thing that was in the recess of my heart. Guys, we would never want to follow someone or something so complicated, so deceptive, or so deceived itself. So why would we follow our heart? So if that's the state of our heart, and that's the first truth, our heart is deceptively wicked, then simply put, brother and sister, don't follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. Just don't do it. It's terrible advice. Proverbs even says that. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So guys, honestly, take it or leave it. If a friend that you know tells you, hey, you just need to follow your heart in this situation, slap them on the face and say, no, try again. I know that's not good for me. You better gum up with something better. Don't follow your heart. Right? It was never meant to be followed. It wasn't designed to dictate your decisions. Because your heart isn't the shepherd of your life. It's like, it's like this pompous sheep who has wolf-like tendencies. Don't follow your heart. So if that's what God says about our heart, we're starting off understanding how do we relate to it? What do we do then? Where do we go from here? Like I realized that when we come to faith in Christ Jesus alone, God says we are a new creation. And one of the promises that we find in Jeremiah is that he's gonna instill in us a new heart, right? So we do have this reality that we have a new heart. We didn't come with, into the Christian faith with two opposing hearts. We only have one heart. But guys, that heart is still complicated. That heart still has recess and has got a lot of baggage attached to it when we came into the new faith. And yet this heart is able to be pricked by truth. It's able to be responsive to the Lord. Unlike our old hearts weren't, we couldn't have responded to the Lord. But when God gives us a new heart, we can actually see and understand and know what God's desires are for in our lives and how good he is. We wouldn't be able to see those with our old hearts. And yet still with these new hearts and new creation, there's still a sense where there's something lurking. There's still recesses that need to be navigated. and baggage that needs to be brought into the light. So instead of following your heart, don't follow your heart, lead your heart. Because God wants to work with us. He desires to work in cooperation together to lead your heart. Guys, your heart wasn't designed to be followed. It was designed to be led into its ultimate purpose. 
So if our hearts are the, the gauge, we are the watchmen. If my heart is a gauge for the things that I love and I hate, then I need to be a, a watchman of my heart. I have a moral responsibility. I have a moral obligation to be bringing the gauge of my heart and saying, God, it's showing me some things that are not good. This is not good. I don't like this. I need you to do something in my life. I need you to get rid of the things that I'm loving because they're wrong. And I need you to replace them with right loves. We bear the moral obligation to beg God to bring our hearts to the Lord and have him do what our hearts were designed to do, to believe in God and long for God. As one author said it this way, he said, our hearts were never designed to be gods in whom we believe. They were designed to believe God. So like when Jesus in John chapter 14, he said, hey, let not your hearts be troubled. What did he say? Believe in your heart. No. No, he said, believe in who? God. Believe in God, right? The Bible instructs your heart to not be troubled. Instead, make it believe in God. Cause it to believe the truth about God and what he says is true. The Bible instructs your heart to do what God designed it to do, to feel right affections, to love the right things. Guys, God tells your heart to treasure really what's truly valuable, eternally. God tells your heart to, to love what is like right and for the right reasons, right? God says to, to, for your heart to trust what is true, to hate what is evil. So, so don't, don't believe your heart, inform your heart. Don't follow your heart, lead your heart, direct your heart to believe God. So how do we do this? How do, we, how do we do this where this heart work, this faith work where we're bringing our heart out? This is where we get our two application takeaways. I'll just call them short app takeaways because I don't apparently like to say the word application. The first, the first way we lead our hearts to believe in God is simply this, to set your heart. Let's say that together. One, two, three. Set your heart. So 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen says this. Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. The second part of 2 Chronicles 19.3 says, set your heart to seek God. So uh, let me try to illustrate this for you. Take your Bibles, hold them up like this. If you don't have one, you can just borrow one out of the pew in the front of you. Take your Bibles, hold it up like this, all of us. Now I'm going to give you an instruction. You ready? Set your heart in your lap. Go ahead. You don't have to throw it, but just put it down in your lap. What did that take on your part? Intentionality. It took the intention. Intentional effort to set your Bible in your laps. In the same way, when we take something from one place and we set it somewhere else, it requires the intention of it. You have to intend for it to happen. So this means if we're going to tet our hearts to seeking God, we have to intentionally stir our affections for God. Guys, I don't know about you. I don't find my, my heart naturally stirred by itself for God. In other words, you won't find your heart coasting into white hot affection for God. You just won't. I, I mean, I grew up, so I grew up helping my mom in the kitchen every now and then. We, 
we ate some pasta every now and then. And, and I can't ever think of a time when, when she said, hey, Scott, can you stir the pasta? And I said to her, hey, don't worry, Ma, it's going to stir itself. It's going to do its own thing. No I, no, I knew that in order for that thing to cook right, you had to stir, had to be stirred. And I had to intentionally do it. In that same way, our hearts aren't going to just coast into a right desire for God. You've got to lead them there. You must lead your heart by setting it on the things that stir your affections for God. So then we're not talking about what is law keeping. We're talking about what makes me love God more and more. And what are the things that rob me of my joy in him? You must lead your heart. How do you do it? Set your heart. And how do you best set your heart? Set your heart on the things that stir you loving for God, your love for God, right? Get your heart to listen to God's word. And I'm about to tell you something. It's probably going to sound revolutionary. Get your heart set on God's word and listening to God's word, even if your heart doesn't want it. As if you did everything that your heart wanted you to do, you'd be eating gallons of ice cream and binge watching Disney Plus all day probably. Or whatever you indulge in. Your heart was not designed to be followed. It was designed to be led. Even if your heart doesn't naturally want this, you say, God, I know it's actually a sinful thing for me to to not desire your word and your truth in my life. And yet I know I need it. So I'm gonna bring my heart to you and I believe that you can do something great in my life and in my heart in this time. Would you do it? And I'm sorry for my lack of love for you right now. I don't know what it is. Would you show it to me? Because I know you deserve it. Immerse your heart in the discipline of studying this to get the meaning, the application, and the affection even when your heart doesn't want to. So be intentional about setting your heart on seeking and savoring God. That's the first takeaway. The first thing you have to do is take your heart off of the things that it has been on and put it on the things that you find. Wow, that really makes me love God. Set your heart. Second thing, guard your heart. Can we say that together? One, two, three. Guard your heart. As Proverbs 4.23 says this, It says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. Now by the springs of life, he's talking about what Jesus says, out of of your heart comes the springs of life. Everything that's in your heart is what dictates your life. But, but, But Jesus and Proverbs here are saying, you've got to protect it. It's like almost this wartime mentality. Guys, we don't have enough of that. This wartime mentality, which is, I'm going to protect my heart from any enemy, foreign and domestic, that might seek to rob my heart from what it's been set on here. I mean, once your heart is set on seeking God, we're also to team up with the Lord and obligated by scripture to guard it, to protect it, to not let anything take it off of what we've set it on. So that's, that's why the Bible says in, in this idea of keeping our hearts, of protecting our hearts, it says, hey, hey, don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't do it. Protect it from that. 
It also says, hey, if money increases, don't set your heart on money. When it, when it, it also says, hey, hey, do not let your heart turn to a forbidden woman or man. Just protect your heart from that. Don't let your heart love those things. It says, hey, 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 don't let your heart be troubled or overwhelmed with fear. It says, protect yourself from that. Guard your heart from those things. There's a responsibility that we have to be dependent on the Lord to guard our hearts. And when you set your heart on seeking God, you also have to guard it from anything that would take you away from that. And that, brothers and sisters, is what I mean by leading your heart, not following it. And that would be my highest hope for you this morning. The highest of it all, that you would lead your heart by setting it and guarding it from anything that would take it away. Now perhaps, um, perhaps this is really offensive for you. And, and in some sense, I actually expect it to be. And, and I also understand the complexities of, well, what does it mean to have a new heart in relation to this? A new heart means it can be led into good things. But perhaps you're just super offended and this is just really hurtful for you because you didn't know you, your heart was this bad and, and you don't even, you're not even convinced of it. Guys, I, I, I can't do that work. I can only say this is what God says about our hearts. He has to convince you of this. Perhaps there's others of you who have known this for a while and like me, you've just kind of lost the sight of this. And you've been like, man, I've, I've just been coasting. I've not been intentional about taking my heart, setting it where it needs to be and then protecting it from anything that would try to rob it or stir it for something else. Maybe you've been convicted about ways that you've seen yourself following your own heart and not following Christ. Maybe, maybe you know that you've, you've followed your heart and now you're just dealing with the aftermath of the pain of doing so. Right? Whether it's you're overwhelmed with, with grief or shame or guilt. Either way, guys, I believe God can heal our hearts. I believe he can. Our hearts aren't stuck in shame and guilt. You know, perhaps, perhaps this is the first time today that you actually realize that you've become persuaded by God's grace alone that, man, my heart really is not something that I need to be listening to. I need to be leading it. If that's the case, whatever, whatever you, wherever you find yourself this morning, I, I, I want to just close out right now by letting you meet with the Lord and have him deal with your heart. Because I can't do that work and I can't do it for you. This is where a personal relationship with God through Christ comes in. And so what I wanna do this morning is I, I basically just wanna have a, a, a one or two more minutes after I'm, I'm shutting up I want you to ask the Lord to tune your heart to sing his praise. To tune your heart 
and ask God to set your heart free from the, from the things that it's been wanting that you know have been wrong and how you've been following them. Maybe you need to ask the Lord to take the longings that you know are wrong and, and to, to, to reorder them, to, to, to recategorize them. Whatever it is, like you know your heart, I don't know it. But God knows it better than you do. And if you see the beauty of what comes when you say, heart, you're going to follow me. You're going to follow me to Christ. You're not going to lead me anymore. If you can see the beauty there, then I want you to take the time right now to go before the Lord in prayer. We're going to have one or two minutes. And I'm going to be praying for you during that time. And then afterwards, I'm going to pray for us to close out. But I believe that you can see affections for God stir like never before. And I believe that that can be the case right now. So would you take a second now to just pray? Maybe confess some things to the Lord and then, and then ask him to deal with your heart in ways that you've not invited him into yet. And then I'll pray for us to close this out. Heavenly Father, I, I recognize that, that my heart has the ability to harbor bitterness and anxiety, to harbor distrust And it can harbor it into the recesses of my, my loves and my hates of my affections in ways that, that become kind of like normal. God, you've done a lot of work in my heart these last few months in ways that have not yet happened before in my life. And you've drugged things out of the dark recesses of my heart and brought them into the light and shown me. Show me their end. God, would you do the same work right now for my brothers and sisters here? Would you deal with our hearts? Because we know that we're supposed to love you with all of our hearts. And sometimes that feels impossible, yet I believe it is possible by faith alone. So God, we invite you, for those who are willing, would you come, invade our hearts, break down the barriers of those areas in our lives where we've protected ourselves, where we don't even know that they're on lockdown God, you know the recesses. You know the hiding places in our hearts. You know the baggage that we brought into this new creation life that we have, we have in Christ. And so I beg, Lord, that you would infiltrate those recesses right now and drag out the hate, drag out the bitterness, the anxiety, drag out of the darkness everything that should not be in our hearts. And would you put them to death and would you replace them with everything that should be in our hearts? Like love and kindness, generosity, self-control, selflessness, humility, contrition, joy, peace, 
God, the list keeps going because your grace keeps going. So would you meet with us now and do this work? And I pray that this week would not be a typical spiritual week for us. Would this be a radically different week where we've seen and can testify of the work that you've done in our hearts? God, I love you. We love you and we praise you that this is the invitation of the gospel. And we praise you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's stand as I dismiss you guys with the benediction. Guys, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Goodness, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and in the world to come. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for the privilege. Lord willing, I'll see you next week. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.